Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, gorgeous people, and welcome to the Yes Means Yes show, where the personal and the political get intimate. I'm your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and every other week I'm joined by a smart and provocative guest to discuss sex, sexuality, and or sex-related current events, and then we put our principles into practice with a real-world advice question. I am so thrilled. <laughs> um, you at home have no idea how much scheduling it has taken to make this podcast happen, but we finally have for you Shelley Dodson, who is the national program coordinator for Backline, overseeing their national talk line and the newly launched All Options Pregnancy Resource Center in Bloomington, Indiana. Um, And what that is, and she'll tell you a lot more about it, is what crisis pregnancy centers claim to be but are lying about. It's a real flesh and blood place where people can come and get actually all of their options laid out for them if they're pregnant. Shelly, thank you so much for coming on the show and for sticking with me through all the scheduling. No, it's my pleasure. I'm so glad to have this happen. Yay. Yay. So um, all options opened pretty recently, right? We opened in May, beginning of May of this past year in Bloomington, Indiana. And I remember, I remember the Kickstarter or whatever, maybe it was Indiegogo. I remember I actually was a funder, full disclosure. Um, And I've just been following this project um, because I just think it's such a brilliant idea. Like there actually should be centers where women can go and get real support and advice for their pregnancies. Mm -hmm. But there aren't, there are just these fake centers except until all options came along. So maybe we should start just for folks who aren't as familiar and talk a little bit about the CPCs for context. Yeah. So I will even back up a little bit more. All options pregnancy resource center is actually a program of a national organization called backline and backline has been providing unconditional and judgment free support uh, for more than 10 years to people all across the country and most specifically on our main program, which is a national talk line where we re- receive hundreds of calls every year from people who are struggling to find a safe space to talk about all of their op- all of their experiences and feelings around pregnancy, parenting, abortion, and adoption. And we know that from our experiences that our callers are telling us how rare 
and important it is for them to really find this kind of open-hearted support and to get their to get to really bring their whole selves to this conversation. And so at Backline and All Options, someone can come in and talk about their recent miscarriage as well as abortion that they may have had two years ago or five years ago and never told anybody about. They can talk about what it's like being adopted and how that complicates their feelings around their options with an unintended pregnancy. And they can just talk about how messy and complex all these feelings are with their decisions to parent or have an abortion. So that's a little bit about, a little background about who we are. Um, and we really had been dreaming about building this brick and mortar center for for so long. So it's been really exciting to see this dream come to fruition here, especially in Indiana. And it's, it's been exciting to find a way to do really deepen the support we can offer pregnant and parenting people and to also really expand opportunities for people to volunteer and to get involved in local community. So what's different about being able to come into the center versus what you could get if you call the hotline? So I think those are the advantages um, and opportunities that that people have in in the talk line is that it's national, it's U.S. plus Canada. People can call in from all across the country. We've had people call in from as far as Japan or Egypt. And it's anonymous. It's confidential. Um, You don't have to see someone face-to-face. It's free as long as you have access to the telephone. And you can talk as long as you want or as little as you want. So our average call is about 35 minutes. But sometimes people call and they talk for two hours. People can can call as many times as they want. And they can know that every time they call, they are going to get a safe and confidential place to get open-hearted support from uh, an experienced peer counselor. We call them our, our talk line advocates. So that is really the advantage. It's like that the, the fact that you can be much more intimate and vulnerable sometimes when you don't have to see a person, mm-hmm. especially for a lot of people in rural areas or a lot of people with access or mobility issues to be able to just call and talk to someone on the phone is a lot easier, not as many barriers to overcome for a lot of people to be able to access our support over the phone. And what's great about in person is that a lot of times people are saying, can I come in? I want to talk to someone in person. Um, And there is real comfort, I think, in power and really gathering our communities together face-to-face to to support each other and identify solutions to problems that we're all facing together. And that's why we felt like this Pregnancy Resource Center was the perfect model. It's like putting in what we've been doing on our talk line into what people can come in in person to get services and support so they get the peer counseling. They can come in and get a free pregnancy test so they can take that pregnancy test there and talk about it. They can and take have someone to sort of sit with them while they yeah. take it. Yeah. Yeah. And because that's a, that's a, that can be a really scary three minutes. Yeah. Three minutes can be really full of a lot of different. Is that feelings. what it's down to now? Three right, minutes? Yeah. Mm hmm. Wow. Yeah. Back it's, in my day. <laughs> <laughs> Were you, how long were you waiting? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it was 10 minutes at least. Uh, yeah, no, I think I remember, yeah, being younger and taking pregnancy tests and thinking, oh, 10 minutes, that's the longest, or seven minutes feels yeah. like sticking in my brain. So it's three minutes. It's really great, you know, and that's the process of being able to, you know, being able to just get a free pregnancy, get a pregnancy test is a really um, big advantage of, of having a, a space where people can come in because you don't have to go pay $15, $20 to go to your local drugstore to get one, which is a really, it's a, a very big expense barrier. And can they just walk in or do they need an appointment? Both. They can do either one. Okay. They can just walk in and, you know, and it's really great because they can grab a test and leave and not have to talk to anybody about it. But, or they can take the test and decide that we don't have to talk to them if they don't want to talk. So we're, cool. we're holding the space for them with no strings attached to our services. The other thing that we do is provide diapers 
which is a huge need for a lot of people who are parenting. So we are um, a member of the National Diaper Bank. And since we opened, we've given out over 22,000 diapers. Oh my God, I know how expensive diapers can be. Diapers are huge and they go through them so quickly. They do go through them. And there's just so many things that are limited in whether or not you do and don't have diaper access or on childcare. Right. You know, if you're going to a childcare facility, you have to have them in disposable diapers. And so that is luckily a big need that we're really seeing that we knew was a big issue and concern for people, but we don't, I don't know if we realized how big of a need that was. So having so many people come in and more and more people are finding out about us every day. So that's been really amazing. And we know that if we're meeting the needs, basic needs of people, then they're going to be able to see, you know, be able to find other ways of areas that they need support on because oftentimes there's just so many things that are going on. People's lives are dealing with homelessness. They're dealing with issues around custody. They're trying to find work. Um, Their car breaks, you know, it's like all these little things that add up for a lot of people really limit their, their ability to be the parents that they want to be. And why Bloomington, Indiana? So this seemed like a really great place for many reasons. One, um, since I've been with the organization for a very long time, I started in 2007 as a volunteer on the talk line. Um, And this is my home. So I'm from Indiana. Backline started in Portland, Oregon, where I got involved. And I moved back here. And clearly, we just saw the need was really great. And I don't know. Most of people actually don't really know a whole lot about Indiana. And we have, earlier this year, there was lots of headlines about us because we had a huge HIV outbreak and um, RIFRA. And so, like in many states, especially in red states. Wait, wait, wait. You, You have to break down for folks what RIFRA is. Oh, the Religious Religious Freedom Protection Act, um, which basically allowed for discrimination of GLBTQ folks all in the name of religious freedom in our state. And it made a lot of headlines um, because in some states there are protected classes and communities of people, and in Indiana there are not, which made Indiana different. And so there was a really big backlash in our state and community, which was really amazing. Ultimately, it didn't really change a whole lot. But it did throw Indiana on a map on the map for a good couple months there, and so go ahead. So Bloomington is in part because you were there. Yes, and it's also very much at a, the crossroads here in the Midwest, where we have a lot of um, restrictions. We have a lot of policies, attitudes, and access that really make it difficult for people to find support around pregnancy and parenting. Um, and also, it's Bloomington is act a very supportive has been a very supportive and welcoming environment for us. Um, and we know that people, you know, those, these headlines that we, we've heard about Indiana and people in red states, it really doesn't reflect the values that respect, really reflect the caring communities that we really have here that care about social and reproductive justice and really want to be there to support their fellow Hoosiers. And also there's a huge school there. So, you know, the proportion of folks of childbearing age are, is increased, I would think. Right. And a lot of people are coming here to just get basic health care needs met from around. So it's very rural, very quick here um, in Indiana. We have a couple few major cities and Indiana University is the hub of in the heart of the town in many ways. But there's a lot of people that come here to go to the mall, for example, or to get to go to the hospital or, or to go to get health care. From more rural areas of, of Indiana. Areas. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. yeah. Got it. So talk me through. Yeah. How's it been going? What did you expect it to be like? What what has been surprising? What's it been? How's it been going since you opened? It's been going really great. It's, it's been a, bit of, a little bit of a slow build in the beginning, and people are still finding out about us every single day. But we've actually been able to serve almost six hundred families so far. Um, 
And primarily the biggest need is around diapers and material support. We also do baby clothes. We do referrals for other types of community services. We are starting an abortion fund. So because we know the needs for people is that people actually need diapers and an abortion um, all at the same time. We are looking to incorporate the milk bank as a part of the work that we're doing because, again, we know that these issues are experienced on a continuum and not in isolation from each other. A milk bank is for breast milk? For breast milk, yes. So people donate breast milk and that goes to the um, state milk bank and then that gets dis- distributed to other folks so that they, for, for breastfeeding. Interesting. So yeah. folks who maybe are having trouble producing their own milk or... Producing milk, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so there's lots of people I just... You know, it's fascinating to something that we don't often talk about is, is breastfeeding, how that sometimes for a lot of people that could be a, a privilege or something that they want to do, but their bodies aren't producing milk. And then there's some people who produce a lot of milk. And so being able to share that with people and being that site, the location where people can go and drop that off. That's very interesting. Yes. So uh, you sort of dodged my question in the beginning, like a pro, about about the CPCs, but I I feel like we have to talk about them, like sort of the elephant in the room in this conversation, that the, the project that you're doing has a sort of evil doppelganger, <laughs> which is much more popular around the country, called a crisis pregnancy center, um, which is basically to find to sort of encourage folks who are pregnant and maybe aren't sure if they want to keep the baby to come in and be scared out of abortion is that about right would you agree with that assessment yeah I've, yeah so i will say that we really recognize and build on all the good things about the pregnancy center model which is why it's we've been really drawn to it because you're providing these free services for pregnancy tests and peer counseling you're getting these material goods and support diapers, baby clothes, and other resources that are really hard to find for parents and families. And I think CPCs have been the crisis pregnancy centers or pregnancy resource centers all across the country have been providing. They've been filling that gap, and they've been the only one to do so. We also really recognize that a center that's really unaffiliated with any providers of adoption, abortion, or parenting service is also really seen by many people as more neutral and less invested in the outcome of those decisions. So that's what we hear, you know, we hear on the talk lines that callers really appreciate that about us is that we're independent and neutral and our only mission and purpose is to really provide them with the support, whatever they need. Now, to your point, unfortunately, a lot of CPCs really present themselves as neutral and unbiased, but the reality is they are almost exclusively anti-abortion and Christian faith-based. And there's really, you know, there's really nothing wrong, inherently wrong with that orientation, but it can really, it is really misleading and deceptive about when you're not talking about the values and limitations of your agency. And we don't feel like that's fair to the people who are seeking the services. Um, They deserve to know whether or not the place that they're going will refer them for an abortion or talk about abortion care or even um, give them referrals for birth control. Um, And I think that is really the challenge for us is it's like we really think that that should really be transparent so that all people can really make their own decisions about where to seek services and so which organizations are going to offer them the information resources and the support that they really need and not have it be attached to other strings or if if there are strings that they should be apparent right we know that a lot of the cpcs advertise themselves as very neutral service-based organizations and don't tell you up front that they have a you know a specific 
very okay. narrow Christian perspective and that they're explicitly anti-abortion and under no circumstances are going to support your choice to abort, et cetera, or give you right. information about it. Exactly. And I think people um, deserve to know whether or not they're going to need to take Bible classes in order and or, or faith-based parenting classes in order to receive those diapers. And I think that is oftentimes what people don't know about, and it's not really talked about very often, is that those diapers and baby clothes are, you know, you're required to go to their classes and or, you know, to earn Bible bucks or mommy money or baby bucks. Those are the things, the three kind of bigger categories of what they're called. And they're often classes that you have to go to for an hour. And then the diapers are limited in what they're able to provide. So some, some places provide very, a wide variety, but some places are providing as few as five diapers a week, while the National Diaper Bank recommendation is 50 a week. Wow. Um, and our packs that we're giving out is about 30 30 to 35 diapers, and it will depend on the size. So younger younger kids will need more. They will go through more diapers, as you referred to earlier, versus older kids. But we want to make sure that, you know, they're getting enough to make to, to have that fill that gap for them. I think what's so enrapturing to me is the idea that the CPC idea is actually a good one. It's just being executed in most case, cases, either just shoddily or also unethically. Um why do you think that there aren't more centers like yours? Like there are all of these sort of facsimiles that aren't really doing what they're promising to do, but it is actually a great idea. I, I feel embarrassed to say I never really thought of it until I saw the fundraising campaign mm -hmm. for all options. I was like, until then I was like, uh, CPCs, ugh, right. Um, but it didn't say like, oh, if only CPCs were actually better and doing what they promised, right? So right. why aren't there, it seems like a really important model. It is. It's a, I mean, I think it's an amazing model that builds so much into it as being a part of the community, which is why I think on the surface, as you said, for a lot of people, they seem really great because they're saying that we, we love and respect and want to bring everyone into the fold. And we were, they are the only ones that are actually providing tangible support to people who are parenting. And we just, I think that speaks to the larger social issues of the fact that we don't support people in parenting. We don't provide livable wages. We don't have any sort of, you know, protected paternity leave. We don't have accessible or affordable childcare for people, birth control, you know, like all the pieces that kind of come into birth control and access. And we don't, I think in general, it's like we don't support people to be parents. We only like to judge them when they're failing at being parents and, and, and blame them and put them in jail for not being the parents that we want them to be versus actually giving them the resources and support they need to make the, the best families for themselves in whatever way that makes sense for them. Right. And we don't like to support. And I also think that it's, it is really hard to get funding to do support services for people. And I think that's what we've recognized time and time again, is that it's not sexy. <laughs> it's not fun. Um, diapers aren't as sexy and fun as one would think. Right. It, um, but <laughs> I don't know that anyone thinks diapers are sexy and fun. Well, there's, a small, there's a small sliver of fetishes. Subsective folks. Yes. yes. <laughs> but other than them, most of us don't think that. Um, exactly. But there's such a basic need and necessity and what people will you know, need to do. And if your kid doesn't have um, access to clean diapers all the time, that your kid might get is going to get sick more often and have right. health care. It, it bleeds over into everything else. And But so is it funding, do you think, that keeps it from, like, it seems like yours is the only one I've ever heard of that's actually doing this. What's What now I realize is a really important service. We are the first of, we are the first. We're the first, and we hope that this is 
going to be the first of many, and we'd like to see what works and what doesn't and how we can really replicate this model because we do want, we really want to see the shift between this dichotomy of pro-life, pro-choice, either or, and that there is a different and new way to approach this. And it can be both at the same time that brings all these other pieces into the fold that's really about supporting people across all of their experiences, regardless of what what they want to do. And that means that people need access to abortion funding and they need diapers and, you know, they need a place to talk about it and they need a support group and, you know, they need to be able to get referred to other services in a way that they know is going to um, speak to the ethics and the values of what someone says that they're going to do. Can you walk us through like a couple of stories of like somebody, people who've come through and gotten services from you that, that have stuck in your mind. I know you're going to have to, you know, protect people's confidentiality, but <laughs> as much as you can share, I'd love to sort of, for people to get a, ch- a sense of like, what, 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 what is the story like, you know? Yeah. I mean, people are coming in and they just have just, just, just like us, they're complex human beings that have a lot that have a lot going on in their life. And we'll see these, really amazing interactions where people are recognizing other people where we had one day we had two moms had come in separately and then realized as they were standing next to each other waiting for diapers that they were in jail together. And we on D block. And I was like, Oh yeah. Like, how are you doing? Like, Oh yeah. Like now, like you got, you're, you're back with your kids. And like, that's so great. And it's like that ability to have that opportunity to witness that and to hold a space where that could happen is really amazing. We've been able to fund a couple of people around their um, abortion care, which has been really powerful um, to see people who are, you know, both, both those people being parents. Again, we know that 61% of women who have an abortion have already given birth to at least one child. And being able to help them access that care was very profound. So are they, you know, so, so you might have someone who's literally coming in and picking up a diaper pack and also asking for abortion care. Yeah. I mean, we've given out over almost 200 pregnancy tests in the time that we've been there. It's like people, you know, they need to know if they're actually pregnant. And like, that's an important piece of information and context for people to be like, I don't know how far along I am. And in Indiana, you know, most, there's very few places to access abortion care. And we only, you know, our limit is almost at the 14 week mark, 14 week mark, even though the legal limit is 20 weeks. So it is really challenging to to access that care. We've also had people who are coming and they're talking about it, it's just bringing up feelings of, you know, they want to talk about a previous miscarriage that they had. And there's a lot of folks who are taking care of their grandkids a lot. I mean, that's definitely more surprising than I think a lot of people would know that a good percentage of the people we have are taking care of at least one, if not more, of their grandkids and being 50, being 60 and being a parent again mm-hmm. and not knowing how to navigate that can be really challenging. So you're really, it's not just young folks who are using the services. Definitely a lot. And definitely, you know, the idea that it's just, you know, young women that are using our services. Like we have parents and families and men that are coming in, um, folks that identify along the gender continuum um, are coming in for support around these things and wanting to just have a safe place to talk. And what we've seen is that people are coming in and once they get their basic needs met for some folks, they're like, Oh, Hey, what else are you doing? And we're saying, you know, we're here and we can talk to you and we can talk to you for an hour. We can talk to you for a half hour. We're just, we're here to provide that safe space and provide open hearted support. And they say, that's amazing. I want to talk about, you know, I've always, I've never told anyone that I had an abortion, you know, when I was 15 and can I, can I talk to you about that? And like, yes. 
Well, yes, you can. We're, we're more than happy to be there to support you through that process. Really, You know what it reminds me of a little uh, this summer – I had on Francisco Ramirez, who does a lot of really amazing stuff. But one of the things he does is in New York City, sets up a chair, uh, you know, in a, in a park and puts mm-hmm. out a sign and says, like, ask me your sex questions. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Um, and literally does like sidewalk canceling. He's also does consulting for the UN and you know, he's a super interesting guy. But, um, you know, talked about the power of just being open to what people right. want to talk about. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that, that in the power of that invitation without an right. agenda is it's so intense. It's huge. It is, it is. It is huge. And it is really powerful. And I think that that's the, all the information that we've had from their talk line and my experience of being a volunteer on the talk line is that it makes such an impact and it impacts the, you know, the person that's doing the work and supporting that person. But just to say, you know, for people to say like, Oh, thanks for not treating me like crap. Thanks right. for not judging me. And people have said that, that, you know, they've written on their feedback forms, you know, like you've treated me with respect and that you didn't look down upon us. And that is a lot for a lot of these folks who are receiving services and care and are having to go through all these social service hoops and jumps. And they're getting judged along the way for every they're, – they're under a microscope right. of everything they do. You know, like you shouldn't buy that magazine because you're poor and you don't have money. You're supposed right. to be spending this and that. And just the policing that we do um, on people who are seeking services is really challenging and hard and I really, really denigrating to a lot of people. So just to have a space where we say, we don't, we're not judging you. That's, you know, we're here to just provide you support. And we know that any one person could be in any specific situation for a variety of reasons. And a lot of people have a lot of different levels of privilege that allows them to be buffered from that. Um, How, what percentage would you say are folks who are looking for help talking through a decision about what to do with the pregnancy? Because I think that's the main idea of, you know, who uses crisis pregnancy centers? Is that, that's it. I mean, that has not been our experience so far. And so I think that is, I think on the surface of what, you know, when, when you think about CPCs, if like that, that, you know, you always see the pregnant, right. Question mark, scared, question mark. Exactly. Like, so you how know, many of you are, how many of you are in a corner? How many of your, your clients, I don't know if you, how, how you refer to them, but how, how many of your visitors like are pregnant and scared, right? Or pregnant right, and confused, exactly. right? Right, which is which is ex- an extremely valid experience for a lot of people that they can. It's like the exploitative nature of that is right. that not everyone everyone has a wide variety of feelings, and it's never just one. I mean, we ask people when they do a really short intake that has you know it's it's not requiring them to prove income or prove any sort of information, but we have the feelings list, and you know it ranges from happy to confused to hungry. Um, to tired, to, you know, all, all the different feelings that you can have. And every, no one circles one feeling. Right. Everyone circling at least a couple different feelings at the t- same time. And we have, you know, I, again, I'd say the, the bigger need is basic fundamentals of, like, diapers and baby clothes are such a huge need for folks. And, you know, as we move forward and you build that trust and connection with people, they're wanting to talk about those things. And people are taking pregnancy tests and leaving, and then, you know, we're referring them to the talk line, and they can come back to the center anytime they want to talk. But I think that's the bigger need. And I, I'm i not quite sure about what the statistics are sure. for people who go to the to CPCs of, like, what's their actual, like, what, what are their numbers? And how, what are they really seeing people right. for? Who even knows? Yeah. Out is- Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? 
Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Those are two different things. But your your average visitor is not coming in because they can't decide what to do with, about their pregnancy. Right. I would say on our talk line, that's a much different number. Oh, okay. In our talk line, about a third of the calls are really pregnancy options focused. I, I'm pregnant. I'm kind of weighing my, my options and wanting to talk about my decisions. And usually that's typically between abortion and parenting. About a third of our callers are getting support around seeking or considering an abortion. So they're pretty sure... This is the decision they want to make and just want to talk about it. And the other the other grab bag is kind of sexual health or wanting to talk about a past miscarriage or pregnancy loss, you know, wanting to talk about how to support their daughter who just found out they're pregnant and they're needing support in order to, you know, wanting to have that conversation without blowing up with their daughter. Right. So, they need to blow off some steam first. Yeah. yeah. The partner saying, I know I don't have control over this situation and I want to support my, you know, I want to support this person and, or I don't know how, I don't know what I feel about it. And they're wanting me to, to give them an answer. So, <laughs> which is like about 8% of our people who call the talk line typically are identifying as man. So, and then the rest are, you know, along most of our- say eight or 80? Eight percent. Oh, okay. I was like, wow, eight. that's surprising yeah. to me. Right. You're like, wait a second. <laughs> that's not what I would have anticipated. That's really interesting. Yeah. You said that most of them are choosing between abortion and parenting. They're mostly not considering adoption. Right. Mm-hmm. That's true. I think adoption is definitely something that has shifted and changed over time. And it for a lot of people, it's just not, it, it doesn't make sense for their lives. And I think even though the demand and increase for people wanting to adopt has increased, but the people who are placing for adoption continues to go down. And or I, I don't know how that will, that might continue to shift as we have more and more restrictions and regulations on abortion. abortion yeah. And lack of access for people to parent, because I think the same, um, the same person who is, making the decision to um, have an abortion is also that same person who is placing for adoption. They're oftentimes, you know, women with children who already know what it's like to, to be a parent and can't afford, like they're wanting to parent, but can't afford to, Right. which is something we hear time and time again, which goes back to the fact that we don't support people in being parents in any sort of real way. Do you consider yourself, your work part of a reproductive justice framework? Definitely. Yeah. It I, seems like, you know, like that very holistic, like it's about, genuinely all options right and really support and and really recognizing that it's very complex and that there's a lot of different factors that are involved in making this these decisions and it's not just about the question isn't 
do you want a parent or not? Or what, you know, these are your three options. It's about the context of your lives. Are you someone who's, you know, has a job that provides you support where you feel like you're financially able to? And even if you're not financially able to, do you feel like you want to parent? Do we support people and parents? Are you, you know, are you an African-American woman who's like worried about her son being shot? Right. You know, like these are these are really real experiences for so many people, and these are the things that people are talking to us about when they call and come into the center. It's it's not just about when I want to parent; it's mostly about the rest of their lives and how that impacts. They're very thoughtful about it. It's like how that impacts everything else. I, that's so important. I wish more people understood. You know, there's so much rhetoric from politicians about like forcing women to think about it harder, right? Oh, like <laughs> you have to go look at the ultrasound and then take 72 hours and think about it because oh, you know gosh. that that the idea that women are not being thoughtful about their parenting choices and their reproductive choices is really laughable compared to you know anyone that I actually know. Right. I mean, the reality. I mean, we again, we I've been. I mean, and I've been doing this work with backline specifically for a very long time now. And in my experience of talking to hundreds and hundreds of people all across the country, I've never heard someone who was flippant about their decision or someone who was cavalier, like, meh, meh, I guess I'll just have an abortion because that's the easy thing to do. Or <laughs> I'll, I'll use it as the other one is I'll use it as birth control. Right. So expensive and not even, <laughs> I've never heard someone that, that says that that is their plan of action. Yeah, people yeah. are very, you know, and and these are hard. To, and I think the reality is, is like the decision can be challenging and it can also be easy and liberating. And there could be a variety of feelings that come about from any decision you have. And that's not just that if you have an abortion, you are going to feel X or right. sadness or loss. It's that people who are parents, you know, they're feeling regret, sadness and loss as well. But there's not a space to talk about that without us vilifying them to say that they're bad and awful parents and we should take their kids away. You know, but no one, there's very few people who say, I regret being a parent in a safe space. Right. But some I people think, do regret it. Yeah. And that you can regret things and also still move forward with your life. I have made decisions in my life and, you know, I would bet everyone else has as well that I regret. And I wish I could go back and change something. But we put the weight of a pregnancy decision as so much higher. Yeah. And we see that time and time again. It's just kind of like, how are you making other decisions in your life? And someone says, well, this one's different. It's like, it is and, you know, how do we move forward with whatever's the best choice for us and that there isn't a right or wrong decision around a pregnancy. There's the best choice for people oftentimes in the moment that they make it, given all the factors that are, are happening in their lives. Can I ask you some personal questions? Go for it. I'm, an, I'm pretty much an open book. All right. How did you get into this work? I, when I was in my early 20s, I became pregnant. I'm an unintentional pregnancy person. And I was in a really abusive relationship. And I found that I could get support either for the pregnancy or for the the crappy relationship that I was in, but not for all of it at the same uh time. You know, I was, I was in, I was 20. Uh, I really wanted to be with this person. It was a very, very unhealthy and abusive relationship. And I was one of those people who, before I could make my decision about what to do about the pregnancy, I had a miscarriage. And it was really hard to find support because everyone would give me advice or tell me that that was the best thing that could have happened. And I was, and I didn't necessarily think that at the time. And I think there's a lot of grief and loss in whatever the could have been's of my life of, of thinking that, Oh, I could have a, you know, I could have a 15 year old now, which is kind of terrifying. And also thinking, wow, 
I would would not want to have been with that person. And I think that really sparked this, that seed, you know, oftentimes our own experiences of just the lack of support we can, that we don't have and just finding support around these decisions where someone isn't telling me what I should do or how I should feel, but I didn't know where to go. If I had had backline back then, it would have been, I think, an amazing shift and change for me. And I also have been doing a lot of work um, in domestic violence and sexual assault advocacy to really support people. So oftentimes those conversations weren't necessarily happen happening either, which I also found fascinating because oftentimes people on the surface can get on board with the fact that we want to reduce or eliminate violence and abuse in our society, even though we don't actually do it. But those same people aren't necessarily talking about abortion and how parenting interacts with those levels of abuse. And all of those pieces kind of came together for me. So that's kind of how I started on this journey. And do you find that, I mean, I imagine you yourself probably need support around this work, that this work takes an emotional toll. How do you manage that and how do you take care of yourself around it? I focus a lot on this shift from this idea that we do self-care as a um, incremental measurements to kind of build ourselves back up into moving into this idea of what is sustainability in this work, because it can be really hard and it also can be really enriching and rewarding. And I really, what I find really powerful and and, um, fulfilling for me is to really supporting the people who are also doing this work. So overseeing the two cohorts of volunteers, because we are a volunteer-powered organization. We have a very small group of staff and amazing volunteers who are giving up their time and energy and love to be doing this work. And so really, that is very energizing for me. I love my dog. I love crappy TV shows. <laughs> um, I like baking a lot. Um, you know, I watch me some Vampire Diaries, and that feels good, and I have no guilt around that. Oh, my God. No guilt. I <laughs> I love crappy TV. Crappy TV is my savior. Yes, exactly. So yes, those are the things I do. I think to take care, to try to really take care of myself and know that I need support and that it's, and, and that we really try to build that into the values of this organization, which is why I've been around for so long and have never wanted to leave is I haven't seen other organizations really work on this model. Oftentimes nonprofit worlds that are doing good work, treat their employees and staff and, volunteers like crap and they get burnt out and they don't get support. And I, that has been the exact opposite of what I've experienced with this organization and the values that we really, we really are practicing what we preach internally and externally. So wanting to support people to take time off and to not work 50, 60 hour weeks, those things are really important. And yeah. That's amazing. I mean, I've certainly worked in the nonprofit industrial complex most of my life and uh, it's, it's to say that it's rare to find an organization that really does practice what it preaches on those lines is it's an understatement. So that's really special. Mm-hmm. And we have a you know we don't it shouldn't be special, but it, it is special. Be. But it isn't. It's like too often people are underpaid, they're undersupported, they're undervalued, and there's this martyr complex about Ugh. it. Yeah. Yes. Right. And we feed it. We we do feed on that, and it's never enough. And I think that is so hard because you know we know that our All Options Pregnancy Resource Center, you know, we're not taking on, you know, the big complex of CPCs. Like, we're trying to change it. It's not us against them. It's trying to say, let's change the conversation and see how we can really support people in this radically different way. And that is powerful. And that can that can shift and change things if we're modeling that. And that does, it does take time. But also, we don't want to 
reaction response to something, we want to be different. Like we are on our holding holding ourselves to a different standard. And it could change the standards that everyone expects of a CBC. Right. Right. It could. Yeah. I think that's a, I think it's a wonderful way to do it. And I, I kind of get why you dodged the question in the beginning. (laughs) Right. You don't want to define yourselves in relationship to CPCs, but you're certainly in conversation with them. Right. And I think even here, you know, it's been an opportunity when we had the launch of the center, the director of the CPC came. Really? We have, you know, we've had a couple conversations and I don't, I don't want to be her enemy. I don't hate her. You know, I, you know, I, I can fundamentally disagree with some of the values that the work that they're doing is, is the, where they're working from. Oh, come on. Don't you get mad at how shady it is? Like, no, I mean, I feel like I have a lot, I I think it's really hard for me because of the relationships and what I'm trying to build here can be really challenging. And like, yeah, I definitely, it's like when we, the generalization of it and like, I agree, it's really hard. I think it's really, it's harmful to people and can be really challenging. And I wanting to really change that narrative though, it's like moving from that different place, and I'm not definitely not perfect in any way, shape, or form. Um, I go on tangents. I <laughs> I vent. I have feelings, and I think it's really hard when we vilify and other um, folks right. because it makes us enemies when we're trying to like move past some of that. And when we vilify our enemies, we can kind of really disconnect from having empathy and compassion of where we can have support and solidarity. Not necessarily solidarity, but support and empathy for others. And that's hard, and that's an ongoing work in progress. That's not an easy thing to do. Man, yeah, that you're saying a lot. Yes, <laughs> a lot of ramble, bamble there. You yeah. have more empathy for them than I do. I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, it, and it can't there, and there, there are um, a wide variety of, of how CPCs do look, and it can be really challenging. You know, like we hear time and time again from people who are calling that they're getting misled and are getting misdated on their pregnancies and are, you know, are being told that they're, they're not as far along in their pregnancy as they are. And so when they would go to have their abortion, they're, they're timed out and they can't get their abortion. And like, those things are not okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do not agree with that in any way, shape or form and, and wanting to really shift, shift that model. No, I get it. You're trying to find points where you can open a conversation. And I think that is incredibly important and, difficult work i'm not trying to pressure you i'm just more i'm just more free to say this shit than you are yes it can be no it's going to be really challenging and really wanting to be in a space but we're you know we're not trying to we are trying to open the conversation and really recognizing that we can have fundamental disagreements and say that that and that's where i think we really sit and stand as an organization that is really truly neutral and not invested in the outcome of people's decisions and experiences and so we can have that critique of other organizations that are doing this work or other, you know, places that are providing care. And like, this is how we see it being different. And this is how we could see that this model could be worked differently in a different way to support people. All right. Well, do you want to support a specific person? (laughs) I would love to. Did you like that transition? I thought that was good. Yeah. Um, You've done this before. we, (laughs) (laughs) We do have an advice question from a listener. Um, who has a kind of complex question for us. Um, And the listener writes, I'm of two minds when it comes to sex, almost literally. Lizard brain, the part of me that doesn't really use words and largely controls my amygdala, thinks sex is amazing. It feels good. It's fun. It allows for a closeness that feels really awesome. 
Then there's logic brain, the part of me that handles my inner critic and approaches everything from a rational, thoughtful standpoint. It's the part I use to do my work, figure out problems, etc. It thinks sex is weird and gross, and that if only lizard brain would shut up and let me be asexual, everything would be just fine. I've tried the rationale that sex is an important bonding ritual with long-term relationships, that science shows it's good for you on many fronts, that it's a bodily need like eating, etc. Ultimately, though, that's not working. I'm in therapy and have been for a while, but as we get closer to working on sex stuff, including some sexual abuse in my past, logic brain sees sex as dangerous and is crushing my libido. I miss sex with my partner. It's hard being this conflicted. Lizard brain worries that my partner and I are drifting apart, that I'll lose him. Yeah. Have you run across people with this issue before? Do you have any advice? Mm. I, I know. So much. I have so much empathy. And I think that they're, I definitely think that they're not alone in having those feelings that no one, I don't think any one person has one. Like they're all in or they're all out on anything. If they say they are, I think that they're lying about it. So I feel like I have so much empathy and compassion around getting support around sex and how do you talk about it and all, all of our baggage yeah, I mean those and relationships yeah I think the key for me in this question is about the therapy and that and the history of sexual abuse yeah. right and that for me you know and this is there may be information I don't know I'm just going on sure. what we have in the question I feel like maybe this person wants to check in with their partner and have a frank conversation about how patient the partner is feeling about the sex stuff. Mm -hmm. And if that, if there's some leeway there, like maybe give yourself a break until you do delve into that tough stuff. It sounds like you're staring down. Right. Yeah. I mean, they clearly have a lot on their emotional head and heart plate that feels very conflicting and really wanting to support them in that there is, doesn't have to be, there isn't no right or wrong way to be in a relationship from my perspective. And all that comes with that. It's just all about that negotiation of consent of what they're wanting to do. And that, if that's if if they're wanting to not have sex as much, that, that's okay. But they, but it, like you said, to be able to have that conversation, which could be really scary and vulnerable, to have with your partner around that. Yeah, I feel like a check in with the partner mm-hmm. is maybe part of what you need here. Which again, I agree is probably the most terrifying thing. Because what if the partner says, "I am feeling really impatient, and I do feel like we're drifting apart," but. Yeah. But I don't think you can talk yourself into wanting stuff that feels scary, right? Like, I don't think you can talk yourself out. It it sounds like you're trying to talk yourself through it. And I think that's probably not the right approach. And thinking about what what ways intimacy, you know, what what is it, what is it that they personally want? And it sounds like they're having a lot of conflicting things. So I would say if they would like to talk to someone, they could call Backline. <laughs> they can call our talk line to talk about that. That's one thing we do. But also just really, you know, intimacy can look a lot of different ways in relationships and trying to get needs met of both partners and knowing that sometimes there are really hard decisions that get to be, that are needing to be made in relationships based on some of those factors and wanting to really support them and that they're, they're in the relationship with themselves the longest and really wanting to support them. Yes. I always say the most important sexual relationship you have is the one you have with yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And that ebb and flow over time. Yeah. Well, and also that sex isn't any one thing. Like maybe there are ways for you to be sensually intimate with your partner that will help sort of strengthen that intimacy between you that that would feel comfortable enough or not scary enough in this moment and those reactions to you know starting to talk about the abuse with the with the therapist and and talking about sex stuff 
is it's like really listen to that. And I really always encourage, you know, what, practicing what we preach is just think encouraging. What would you, what would this person tell their friend if they were going through this? Mm. And those things are really telling if, if your body and your heart and mind are saying, Oh my gosh, no. And they're saying, warning, warning. That's an important, really, that's the important thing to listen to and to really take time to really dig into. And I know that's not easy. That is definitely not an easy thing to be working through. No. And I mean, I don't think it makes you asexual. I don't think it doesn't make you asexual, although it doesn't sound like you're completely asexual. It sounds like you have sexual impulses anyway. Um, I think it just means you're in a place right now, right? Like, and that, and I think the key words that I want you to hear in that sentence is right now, mm-hmm. right? That don't imagine that this is permanent, that whatever happens, and I don't know in what ways it'll change, your feelings will evolve and change, especially it sounds like you're really engaged in that deep emotional work. They're they're bound to evolve and change. Um, I'm thinking about different ways that we can have those conversations. And maybe that's writing a letter, you know, or writing it all down and throwing it away <laughs> and not giving it to your partner or, or seeing like how you can interact and like what I would, I would ask. And especially on the communication piece with the partners is how do you guys interact and have communication at this point? What makes the most sense given your relationship? But I definitely don't think you can talk yourself into being nope. comfortable with stuff yep. that you aren't comfortable with. No, and nor should you. And I think that yeah. oftentimes there's just a lot of pressure um, to do things oftentimes in relationships that we don't want to do, especially around sex. And that can, and, you know, really wanting to support people and it's their body and they get to make the choices around what happens and what they do with their bodies. The other thing I would maybe suggest is try and figure out what does feel good to your body and focus on that. Like, do you like brushing your hair? Do you like, or, you know, oiling your hair? Do you like walking through grass barefoot? You know, like, do you take, Mm -hmm. like taking baths? It doesn't have to be sexual stuff, but see if you can build a relationship to your body. That's about pleasure. You know, Mm -hmm. do you like exercise or dance? Do you not, you know, like Mm -hmm. what can you do with, your body mm-hmm. that will just feel good. And if you can include your partner in any of those things, maybe that's great for your intimacy. But, but I, I agree, Shelly, I think the most important relationship to work on for this listener is the your sexual relationship with yourself, your relationship with your own body. Mm-hmm. You can't work on the relationship with the partner right. until you work on your part. Mm-hmm. Really. Yeah, and that for folks who, you know, like most folks who have experienced any sort of abuse or trauma, there are, you know, physical triggers that, you know, are left on our bodies. And, like, that is an important thing that doesn't – well, ebb and shift and flow over time, but that is very real. And even if you've moved on, quote-unquote, it's still a part of your experience, and that's okay to listen to that. Yeah. I think that we're both saying, like – Patience is maybe the most important thing here. Like slow the whole thing down. And that you're not alone and you're not the only person in the world having that experience. And that hopefully makes you feel a little bit better, but doesn't necessarily mean that it does. (laughs) Sometimes you're like, whoa, I'm not the only one, but oh, then what are other people doing? Right. (laughs) How do they fix it? Why don't you know? Like, how do you move forward? And it's like the idea that these things, they take so much time and it's so hard being in it. It is. It's just a lot of work, which can be really emotionally, physically exhausting and to take care of yourself. And like you said, like what's, what are the things that make you happy and be gentle with yourself? Yeah. And, and just to also, I want to validate like the stuff with the partner is scary, right? Yeah. And there aren't any guarantees in relationships. And sometimes the stuff that you most need for yourself is 
a deal breaker with your partner. And I don't want to minimize that that can feel really scary, but it doesn't change that that's what you need, right? If the, And it may not be the case. That's why I think some communication would be great. It could be that your partner is feeling more patient than you think that they might be um, or more understanding or compassionate um, or not. I don't know. But, but whatever that outcome, and I don't want to minimize how important that relationship sounds to you, you can't force your way out of it. Mm-hmm. But everyone deserves support around what they're feeling. Yeah. And that sometimes people want different things. And again, that doesn't, like you said, it's like that doesn't mean it's right or wrong, good or bad, but that just is. Yeah. It's a tough place you're in. But I think that your question, the way you articulated the whole thing, makes me have hope you're absolutely going to navigate your way through it. Mm -hmm. I'm like a very strong, powerful, resilient person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for helping us help this person Shelly yeah no problem and it sounds like you're really good at this you should do this for a living um <laughs> let's see if I can get some work out of that yeah, yeah you really should think about a career change um yeah, exactly. so speaking of which how can people reach backline and how can they follow your work at all options how can people connect with you going forward yeah so you can definitely find us on all the social media platforms Facebook and Twitter are our website is your backline. It's Y-O-U-R-B-A-C-K-L-I-N-E dot O-R-G. Our talk line is open seven days a week, 365 days a year. Um, the number is 888-493-0092. You can call us. Um, we're open from 10 a.m. to 1 a.m. Monday through Friday and Saturday and Sunday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All Options is in Bloomington, Indiana. So if you're in the Southern Indiana region, please reach out and connect with us. We're at alloptionsprc.org. And that's the best way to connect with us and our services. And you can always give us a call, 812-558-0089. And you can always reach out to me as the talk line and program director for um, the center. And yeah. Awesome. And you can reach me on Twitter and on Facebook at Jacqueline F. That's J-A-C-L-Y-N-F. You can find show notes for this and all of our past episodes at yes. Is it that yes? It just yes means yes show.com. I forgot my own URL and you can find all of my own, uh, my other work at JacquelineFriedman.com. Friedman is F R I E D M A N. And please email me your advice, questions, ideas for future guests or topics. Email me feedback on today's show, your thoughts at Y M Y as in yes means yes at JacquelineFriedman.com. That's all we have for this week until next time. We're wishing you safe and happy sex lives. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.